And so she explains, um, I met a little boy, um, and he's so much more than we can handle. But I just don't know if I can go the rest of my life wondering what happened to him. Mm. I said, bring him home. Yeah. God knows you and he sees you and he knows everything about you. He knows all the reasons you don't deserve to have a relationship with him. And yet he has pursued you up to this moment that you are breathing today because he loves you. Why would he leave angelic worship services in heaven on a throne more beautiful than anything we've ever seen and come to this dusty, dirty, broken, wicked, beat up world for people who may not even say yes to him? The answer is really simple. It's love. A promotion starts big and fades quickly. A movement starts small and builds over time, builds effectively. The kingdom of Jesus started really, really small. And here's a principle. When it comes to change, big moves always start with small steps. Today, uh, we get to continue this storytelling series where we're gonna be joined by our good friend, David Nasser. Now, David and I have known each other for over 20 years, and, uh, and he's been somebody that I've, I've looked up to and I've learned from for a long time. Uh, he's been an influential voice in my life. I've learned from him as a, as a husband, as a father, and as a friend. And I'm grateful that God has brought his family to Middle Tennessee, where he leads a nonprofit called For Others that's about helping and serving vulnerable children in, uh, in, in foster care, in the foster care system. So whenever I get to hear um, David teach, I always walk away with deeper insight into the Word and inspired to, to step out and to, and to follow what the Holy Spirit is calling me to do. And, and I believe that God has a call on your life, and there are things that He wants to communicate to you today. And, uh, and so I want to invite you to help me welcome David Nasser to the stage. Good morning. Um, let me ask you a, a question, and I'm asking it in, in the uh, ultimate sense, but uh, what is all of this ultimately about? Uh, well, what, I'm, what I'm saying to you is that uh, and what I'm, what I'm wondering is, that, like, why would 6,000 people in multiple campuses called Crosspoint come together in person uh, on an average, you know, Sunday morning in the middle of the summer? Why would, uh, you know, women, um, you know, in an in incredible prison ministry called Church Behind Bars, right, make the incredible effort to get up and join us in, in this moment? Why would thousands of people, uh, as I was told this morning, come together on an online sense and, and literally in, in places where churches might be illegal, in nations where it's illegal to gather together, uh, come together in a house and in secret, like log on and, and join us this morning? Why, why sing? Why pass around a bucket and take an offering? Why celebrate a mission trip in Guatemala where people in the middle of the summer will take their one week right, of paid vacation and decide that they're not going to go down to 30A and, and, you know, overprice, you know, shrimp it, you know, for a week, but instead, like, go to Guatemala and, and do what they're doing. Why have someone get up and preach to you out of the Bible? Like, what's the big why? What is all this about? What is church ultimately for? Jesus answers that question for us. If you've ever like been in a moment where you're just like, sometimes I just need to, I'm so in the thick of doing this that I just need to be reminded of the why. 
the beauty of it is that in this parable, uh, the one that we're going to study today, Jesus answers uh, what a church is, and he answers what the church is supposed to be doing, and then he also answers the why, why all of this matters, first and foremost. And so if you have your Bibles, if you would, go with me uh, to the book of Matthew, and we're going to be in Matthew 5, and uh, while you're going there, let me just give you a little bit of a context. This is an interesting moment in the parable ministry of Jesus. Jesus used parabolic teaching, meaning he would use these, um, these very earthly illustrations to point to uh, heavenly truths. And uh, in 36 different times in the New Testament, Jesus uses a parable as an incredible, just a, uh, just a masterful storyteller to kind of unlock, right, and reveal a mystery. And sometimes, honestly, to some ears, uh, conceal that same mystery. And Jesus, over and over again, as a storyteller, uh, would try to use an illustration to, to bring a truth forth to people. And, and in this particular moment, um, Jesus is... Here's his audience. He's speaking to a huddled group of his disciples while very aware that these disciples have come together, these Christians, right, that follow him. His literally disciples have come together, but there are hundreds and hundreds of people that don't necessarily share the faith that these disciples have and don't recognize Christ the Savior that are peeking in on the sermon. And so in this moment, as we're like by the Sea of Galilee, and this sermon is called, you know, the the the, the Sermon on the Mount, and then in this moment on the back end of the Beatitudes, uh, we get to a moment where Jesus is literally preaching to a dozen people, but while he's preaching to a dozen, he realizes that hundreds and hundreds are physically gathered around the dozen peeking in. And so they're having a family meeting, all right, with the windows wide open in the neighborhood for everybody else to be able to listen in. And he's talking to them about what the, this is all about. He's talking to them about the kingdom of God and, and, and the church as a whole, the bride of Christ and, and who they are and, and not just who they are, but what they're supposed to be about and the why, the, the reason, all right, for everything that they are as believers. And he uses this parable to talk to them as the church. But listen, this isn't just Jesus talking to them, the 12, as the world is watching. This is Jesus talking to us, cross point the 6,000 who gather, the ladies who get together, you know, behind bars and have church, the people online that call this their local body. He's talking to us as a local body of believers. And and this is what Jesus says 2,000 years after he said it, just as relevantly this morning to you and me, if we claim to be the people of God. Jesus says this. He says, you, he's talking to us as the church, you are the light of the world. He says, you're the light of the world, a town that is built on a hill that cannot be hidden. He says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Verse 16, he says, in the same way, let's let our lights shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, this is the word of the Lord. And if you're taking notes, I wanna go ahead and give you really quickly the three essential truths out of this thing and so that we can kind of get that out of the way and then we can honestly have a very um, simple conversation about like, this is the truth, but how is it living out? How is it fleshing itself out, right? Next Tuesday 
in and through our lives if we call ourselves the people of God. And so the first thing Jesus answers here for us is who are we as the church? Well, he says, simply put, we are the light of the world. If you're taking notes, that's who we are. We are the light of the world. Number two, what do we do? As the light of the world, we shine. (laughs) And so we're the light of the world, we shine, and here's number three, and the reason we do it is to bring glory to God. So we are the light that shines for glory. Now, can we just say that even if you don't grow up in church culture, this is probably not revolutionary truth to you. This is about as basic and as about as simple as it gets, right? Jesus is ultimately saying this, that you and I, if we are Christians, are the light of the world. Can we just, can we just pause right now and, and, and make sure that we're really clear about what he's saying? He's not saying that we live in a dark world And because we live in a dark world, all right, the good news is that we're in there, all right, to light the path. But what he's ultimately saying, if we want to back up, is this. We live in a dark world. And that's not a surprise to anybody here. Anybody know? We live in a dark world. I don't know if we live in a darker world today than we used to live. Uh, You know, uh, I'm kind of on both sides of the fence. There are days when I just go, does it get any darker? That honestly is because it's whenever I get on Twitter, I go, it just gets, can it get any darker? You know, I just feel like everybody's shouting all caps at one another. All you see on the Twitter feed is what's broken with the world. And and, uh, you're more aware than ever. Like, uh, were pastors sometimes narcissists who like got away with like, so much toxic leadership and then like, like, or is it just that we're more aware of it now because there are documentaries, you know, or, uh, or, or politics like super, super like agitating and were people like calling for each other's resignation and are we just more aware of it now because of, you know, uh, because of like social media and, and there are days when I just feel like it gets darker. There are days when I, then I go and like literally visit the Colosseum in Rome and I think about the bonfire of vanities and the way that the church was persecuted and the way they would take people's lives. And then I go, we kind of got it better today. And so uh, the, the truth of the matter is, whether it was worse or better or whatever, we live in a dark world. Amen? Amen? Like no one's sitting here today going, we don't live in a dark world. We live in a very light world. Like this is, things are just kicks and giggles around my world. Like we live in a very dark world. Amen? But, but let's just be clear, like what Jesus is saying is not that like we live in a dark world and then immediately points to Putin and goes, look, that's a dark overlord right there. When Jesus is talking about we live in a dark world, he, he's pointing to Putin, but that's not at the exclusion of pointing at me. I contribute to the darkness, pointing at you. The spirit of comparison is that nobody in this room presumes to be perfect, but everybody in this room feels better about their weak when they compare their week to Putin or their week to Osama bin Laden or their, their life trajectory of the damage you might have caused by the gossip you told. You called it a prayer request, you know, but it's the gossip that you told at work, right? You go, well, I just did that. Like, I don't murder people. I just murdered their reputation with gossip, you know? But at the same time, the truth of the matter is in comparison, we go, I'm not Hitler. Hitler killed 6 million Jewish people in this thing called the Holocaust. But at the end of the day, what Jesus is talking about when he says you're the light of the world is that we live in a dark world and what's dark about the world isn't just Putin. It's David Nasser. (laughs) It's you. And I know I'm I'm saying that in the South where everybody's like super sweet, you know, and everybody's like, you're just a Southern, polite, dark person. (laughs) I just heard my, I walked up on stage and I heard my, my grandchild a second ago. 
Avery's right there. That's my grandbaby. She is the sweetest, cutest, most amazing. You should follow me on Instagram just so you can see. Like, that's all I post now as a granddad is basically every other day. I don't even, it's just her. It's just, I'm telling you, she's so sweet. She's so funny. The things she does, the, the crazy things that we get to do as a granddad. Avery is the cutest ever, darlingest little dark sinner. <laughs> And I say that, and can I just say this? She's precious, and she's awesome, and she's amazing, but she's a little me monster. No one had to teach her how to sin. No one had to tell her, you know, like, you're going to be self-obsessed. I mean, have her be hungry and have her throw a tantrum. She's not like, well, I don't want to wake my mom and dad up. I don't want to really. Everything about Avery at this moment is she is born in this world dark. And no one wants to say that. Some of y'all are visiting here this morning, and like you were, I don't know, part of a bridesmaid party, you know, and you woke up. And after some decisions you made at the Beyonce concert, walking distance from here, <laughs> you felt like you needed to end up at a church this morning. And if, if you're here this morning and you're just full of like, I don't know, Diet Coke and regret and whatever else is going on as you're detoxing from last night and you're just here, I, I just want to say, I know, I get it. I get it. Like, you're like, welcome to church. Somebody, I just walked in and apparently some Iranian guy who's their guest speaker just said, you're the problem. <laughs> And the beauty of it is whether you're Avery, my little granddaughter, or you're you, or whether you're Kevin Queen, who's an incredibly godly man, or his sweet wife, Rhea, or anybody else, every single one of us, the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short to the glory of God. So it's just different degrees of darkness, but it's darkness. And let me just be clear, when I say different degrees of darkness, there is no light in you. There is no light in me. There is no light in Avery until the light of the world, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, the light of the world steps into darkness. And there is no light. So yes, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. you. You are not Hitler, and you're not Osama bin Laden, all right? You're not Putin. I'll give it to you. You're not that. But that doesn't mean that you're all that. And so the Bible says that we are all darkness, different degrees of darkness. So good news, it's worse than you think. But greater news, comma, not period, until Jesus comes in. And then it's better than you think. And Jesus says... If you are not a Christian, you are the darkness that I'm talking about until, boom, you become a Christian. And then guess what you become? The light of the world. The light of the world. So if you're a Christian, good morning. You are the light of the world. You're the hope for hopelessness, right? You're the one who has the news that everybody's looking for. You are the solution to the problem. You were the problem until Christ came in, and now you're the solution to the problem. You were literally what was wrong with it all until Jesus came in, and now you are what's right with it all. That's insane. Like, that's completely was and is. And so Jesus says, you are the light of the world. If you're a Christian, good news. You're the light of the world. Now, he says, you're a light of the world, but here's what you do. As a light of the world, you shine. <laughs> and if you're taking notes, you know what he means when he says you shine? He says the primary purpose that you're here is to shine. The primary functionality day-to-day -day of your life is that you were darkness, then light came in, and now as light comes in, you reflect that light like a moon, right? Like you don't have your own source, but Jesus is the source. You can't conjure up your own source, but then Jesus comes into your life, and then the Jesus that lives in you, all of a sudden, the light of the world that lives in you is living through you. By the way, there's seven I am statements in the book of John where Jesus is on the, on the Galilean tour, travels around the Sea of Galilee, and he makes these claims about himself. He says, 
says, you know, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the vine, and, and you are the branches. I am the good shepherd. I am the open door. He, Jesus, over and over again, says things about himself. This is the only I am statement that's said by Jesus, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world, where he gives us the exact same mandate as believers who follow him. He doesn't say, you, later on, you are the way, or you are the truth, or that you are the, you know what he says in, in all of those, this is the only time where he says to you and I, I am the light of the world, and if you have me, he says right here, you are city on a hill. You are the light of the world. Crazy. We're utter darkness, total depravity, until God comes in. We're ain'ts until the saint comes in, and then we become saints. Paul calls himself the least of the saints. And as reflectors of the light, the ultimate purpose of the light of the world, this is what I was asking, what is this ultimately all about, is that we shine. Now, what I mean by we shine isn't just that, like, we shine, we're just bright. Like, we, it, it does mean this in its essence, all right? It does mean this in its functionality that, like, everywhere you go, there, there ought to be, like, when you come in, right, there ought to be something. You should be a calming presence, that you are the, the fruit of the Spirit, right, living in you. It's like you go to the places where there's, like, no peace, and you usher in peace because the Prince of Peace lives in you. And you, 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 you go to places where there's impatience, and you, you're, you're a calming presence, you're a patient presence. You go where there's anger, and you, you're a peacemaker. You're, you you, you kind of usher it in. You, you're, you're dragging in the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit. You used to have nothing but the fruit of the unholy Spirit until the Holy Spirit came in, and all of a sudden, you're the fruit of the Spirit. That's true about you, but it's so much more than just like the essence of that. It's about the proclamation of that. As a matter of fact, if you're taking notes, in another place where Jesus is preaching, he says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And the salt of the earth is the permeating presence by which the, the, the oozing goodness that comes out of your life, the saltiness of your life, the way you season every circumstance you're around, but that's the salt of the earth. The light of the world part is literally about the proclamation of the one who came into your life. And in this moment, in Matthew 5, what he's saying is, you're darkness until light comes in. Anybody, that's me? And then you shine. And the light that comes in is the light that you radiate. You proclaim the good news of the gospel to those who've yet to find that light. So that they may become the light of the world. That's the ultimate purpose of every believer. That's the ultimate purpose of all of us as believers. That's the ultimate purpose of the church. The ultimate purpose of the church is not ministry. Let me say it in a more uh, practical sense. The ultimate purpose of the church is not sanctification. Let me say it another way. The ultimate purpose of the church is not the maintenance, the maintenance of the saints. The ultimate purpose of the church is not maintenance. And by the way, we should do maintenance. Maintenance is awesome. If you're going through like financial stuff, somebody ought to throw you into a Ramsey class 
and get you to cut those credit cards or whatever they do in those Ramsey classes. But the ultimate purpose of the church is not that. If you're, if you're a married couple, I mean, if you're a young couple, you love the Lord and you're, you need marriage counseling, this church offers marriage counseling, you know, and, and gets you ready for like that moment, like where you walk the aisle and become one. But the ultimate purpose of the church is not to offer like, you know, marriage preparation counseling. The ultimate purpose of the church is not to, to help someone who's an alcoholic with like the Christian 12-step program, right? That, that we have, that, that our good friends record and everybody from California give us to do. The ultimate purpose of the church is not the maintenance or the sanctification or, or taking care. It's, it's not even community. You ought to belong to community. If you got uh, COVID or if you got a, a broken ankle or something, somebody ought to bring hash brown casserole to you, right? Like there's goodness in that. that hey, you're not alone. You don't have to go out and get something to eat and all that stuff. But the ultimate purpose of the church is not the maintenance or the sanctification or even the spiritual growth of the saints. The ultimate ultimate purpose of the church in shine is to be on mission for those who don't have the light of the world. That's the ultimate purpose of the church. So 75% of our budget shouldn't be about the maintenance of the saints. Most of our staffing should not be about the growth and the maintenance of the saints. It ought to be about focusing on the conversion of the ain'ts. I bought this treadmill one time. Um, this is before Facebook took over and Craigslist was kind of like still around. And I remember I bought it and, um, and I brought it into the house and my wife was like, what are we doing? I said, you know, uh, we're getting this treadmill because like, you know, what's always gone wrong has not been me. Like I know we joined the gyms and I never went and stuff. It's basically because like we just need this in the house, you know, and, and I bought this treadmill and um, she's like, really? And you know how like every year you get to that moment where you're like, I gotta lose 20 pounds. And three months later, you're like, 25 more pounds to go, you know? And so I was there, and so out of desperation, I buy this, 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 uh, this treadmill. And, uh, and she was like, I thought you were gonna spend a couple hundred bucks, but I spent like $700 on this treadmill. But I told her, I said, this is such a bargain. This thing was like four grand. And so I roll it in the house, and we put it in the garage, and, uh, and, it was, and Jennifer's like, what are you gonna, I said, honey, this is amazing. And I start showing you all the stuff it does. I go, first of all, it comes with its own TV. Like it, it literally had in the middle of the, it had its own little TV. I said, you just log on to the internet, you can get on uh, you know, Netflix, you can get on, like it's got its own TV. And then I showed her the cup holders. I was like, this cup holder, you push this button and it keeps your drink cold. Like there's something on the bottom of it and it cools your drink for you. This one right here has a heater thing in it and it makes your drink warm, you know, and it's just amazing. And it had these tiny little fans going around the bottom, and I was like, like, you turn them on, and they like blow air on you while you're running, and I showed her all the things that this treadmill did, and, and literally the next morning, I got up, and I think for about 14 minutes, I got on that thing, and I think I even took like a hot and a cold drink just to see how it does, and it functioned well, and I remember like watching like, you know, an episode, and it was good. It was a treadmill, but can I just tell you like a couple of days later, uh, we had this blanket that was in the dryer for an hour. It still wouldn't dry. And so my wife was like, I know something else it's good for. And she just kind of threw it over the immediately neglected treadmill, almost like a blanket of shame. Like go to the... And then it just kind of sat there for a couple of days. And then it sat there for a week. The blanket was gone, but like the treadmill just sat there for a couple of weeks. 
And then I remember there'd be seasons where like I would walk by the treadmill and one time it was really cold in the garage, but I needed to do something in the garage, not work out on the treadmill, but like do something. So all of a sudden I remembered like, oh, I can keep, the, I can keep my drink hot, you know? So I turned it on, I put my drink there. And then one time I was cleaning up something in the garage and I needed to do that. So I just turned the TV on and let the TV play, you know? And I was listening to a show while I was doing it. And then I used it and then she would like hang stuff on it. And for like the two years we had that thing before she made me get rid of it, it just did about everything that was good. It wasn't bad that he was keeping coffee hot in the garage. It wasn't bad that it was an occasional one more TV that we didn't really have needed in the house. But at the end of the day, the ultimate purpose of a treadmill is to run. And I'm just telling you, like so many times you come to a church and it's just like everybody gets use out of a church of like, I go here for my marriage counseling, I go here for this, and I go here, and my kids have a place to go belong. And all of these other things are awesome. I'm not telling you they're not bad. I, I, I bought a treadmill because of all the bells and whistles, but the, the, but the main reason you have a treadmill is to run. The main reason God had the idea for this is because there's a dark world that needs him. We're the opposite of a country club. Everything about a country club is we exist for our members. Everything about the local church is we exist for those who have yet to become our members. So Jesus says, your darkness until light comes in, and then you are the light of the world. So shine, shine. And then he says, and the reason you shine is you make them see your good works. And if you're going, wait a minute, I thought like in that same exact chapter, he says, when you pray, don't do it on the street corner so you can be seen by men. Or he says, when you fast, like, you know, like don't tell people so that they think you're spiritual. Or when you do good deeds, do it in secret because your father knows in secret what you do. I thought this isn't about like you being a little show off. No, what he's doing is he's not contradicting himself in this passage from these other passages around him in the same sermon. What he's saying is not like one second don't let anybody see it. In the next second, let everybody see your good works. What he's saying is like, this is about intent. This isn't about you shining so that you're famous. This isn't about becoming, like gaining fans. It's about gaining family. It's not mission with a selfie stick, <laughs> but mission with a mirror where we reflect the radiance of God for the glory of God. And so what's he saying? He's saying, you know what? You are darkness until Jesus comes in. The light of the world comes in. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, John 8. And then Jesus says, light of the world comes in, and then the light of the world lifts through you. And it's not just the permeating essence of the way you treat somebody and the sweetness that you are in your neighborhood. That's the saltiness of it. It's the proclamation of the gospel when the opportunity comes to share the good news of the gospel with those who have yet to come to know him. Good news, God so loves you that he gave his one and only son that if you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. And you do that over and over again because the glory of God is at stake, beloved. And that's the ultimate why. Worship. And so the ultimate purpose of the church is mission, not ministry. But the ultimate, ultimate purpose of mission is not mission, but glory. And God's reminding us of that through this parable. But I know you're hearing that, and maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, that's for people like you, you know? 
Enneagram, whatever you might be, extroverts who just seem to like have like their stuff down to talk about it, but I just, I, I just panic at the idea of like being around. I, I'm just not gifted in that sense, but I just want you to know, like when it comes to sharing the gospel, that's not a gift, it's a commissioning. We all have different personalities and different gifts, but we've all been given the mandate and the opportunity and the blessing to share and to be liked. And it's not that some people have that gift and some people don't have that gift. You have a way to reach people I can't reach as an introvert. I'm a a weird extrovert. Like my wife's here, she can tell you right now, like she follows me around at parties and basically is like, I'm so sorry, he meant well. (laughs) We'll pay to have that dry clean. I mean, I'm just like, like, that's, I'm just like, hey, everybody, I'm just a goofy, you know, I've, I've kind of learned how to embrace that, like, that's what I am, like, I'm pretty sure, like, even, like, in, uh, missed opportunities to share the gospel, because sometimes it'll be that, I'm not afraid that I'll be rejected, I get rejected, all, I'm not afraid of failing, uh, on a day-to-day basis, I go to the pickleball court and fail, all right, I go to work, I, 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 for me, it's not about fear of rejection, for me, it's like, I'm just ADD, I forget, like, I'll get in the Uber, and I'm just so busy that I, I miss the opportunity to be salt and light. But it's not that like you just have the gift of gab and you're just an extrovert and you're just goofy and funny that makes you approachable. So like it might by some ways feel a little easier, but I'm just telling you like God doesn't go, you have the gift of evangelism. You don't have the gift of evangelism. You have the, God God looks at you and goes, I fearfully and wonderfully made you athletic and there are people you're gonna be able to reach that Nasser can never reach because I'm not athletic. I I, I struck out at kickball, y'all, growing up. I'm bad. (laughs) But I can talk theater for hours with somebody. I know that's a weird one, but like I can talk to you about Hamilton. I can talk to you about Evan Hansen. I know some of y'all are like, that's so nerdy. I know, all right? But I can talk theater. I can right now pivot and talk about Le Mis and get the gospel all in. And some of y'all are going, what is that? You should watch it, all right? I'm just telling you the gospel, the candlestick moment. Anybody else with me on this one? The greatest gospel. I can do two hours on that. I cannot do two minutes on some of the stuff y'all can do. And God's fearfully and wonderfully given you arsenal that's unique. And what's beautiful is he says, we're all, we're all in this one commissioning in our life, right? You are the light of the world. But David Nasser, don't you ever try to proclaim that light with a microphone in your hand singing. Because <laughs> when I sing, people are like, is that the wrath of God manifested through a voice? Like, I am bad. But then you see people up here and they sing and it's just like, is that what heaven's gonna be like? Is that what angels feel like? Some of your cooks, I'm not that good. My wife, man, yesterday my wife made this charcuterie plate. I'm just telling you, like, you walk by her charcuterie plate, it was this like long charcuterie. You walk by it and you were like, that's what heaven's gonna be. That's what, that's what we're gonna eat in heaven. That's the buffets of heaven. That's the golden corral of heaven right here. She has gift things I don't, I don't have, like, you know what I'm saying? Some of you have things that I don't have. Some of you know things I don't know. But every bit of those, what is the ultimate purpose? All those are just cup holders until you realize your ultimate purpose is God has put you in that apartment, not me, you in that apartment, not Kevin Queen, you in that house, you in that neighborhood, you with that dialect, you with that opportunity, you with that week off to go to Guatemala. God's given you everything he's given you because you can do things that no one else can do. And the ultimate purpose of that is you're the light of the world. Shine. A few years ago, um, I went to this camp and they had warned me as I was going to camp the day before that I was gonna meet this young man who was gonna be on the front row when I got to camp. 
The youth pastor had called me and said, hey, I know this sounds weird. Uh, you don't know me yet, but I just feel like my wife keeps telling me, and I, and I agree with her. I just feel like I need to warn you about this young man who's gonna come to camp. He said, this guy, this is his senior year, and so I'm kind of excited he's gonna graduate out, all right? Because every year, our camp pastor tries to reach out to this young man and basically pulls back a nub. And he said, David, this kid is so mean. He is so disruptive. He's gonna sit on the front row so that he can maximize trying to get under your skin. Every year he does that. And he said, I'm just gonna tell you, like, you need to leave him alone. He goes, uh, his dad is like a big tither who basically built half our new sanctuary, all right, with one check. So I'm afraid to go to my pastor and say, I'm not letting him in. He disrupts camp for everybody else. He goes, so just leave him alone. And on the phone, I was like, sure, buddy, whatever. You know, but in the back of my mind, I was like, I don't know who they've had before but I'm from Iran, I'm going after, you know, so I, was, so I went in hot, you know, and I, I come in, he is sitting on the front row, there's like 400 people there, I'm not preaching to anybody but him, every illustration, I'm like, some of you tonight might need Jesus, like I'm, I am doing everything but putting a lighter under his chin to go, it's hot in hell, baby, come on, I didn't do that, but I'm, and can I just tell you this, fail, first night at camp, Fail. Second day, morning, fail. Third, I mean, it was not hitting. Like, he is answering things. He would say things in the middle of my sermons. Like, I would say something and he'd go, That's stupid. I'm like, oh. And he was just disruptive. And I was just like, Man, I, I think I'll get him with humor. He was like, You're not that funny. These are cheesy. This, this, and I'm just telling you, I was just fail, 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 fail. We get to the last day of camp, Thursday morning. We get there, he's sitting there, he's telling people, this is the last day I've ever had to go to camp. I'm a senior now, my parents can't make me go to camp, and this is my last day I have to put up with the you know, garbage, blah, blah, blah. So we get to the last morning, after the last morning session, I said, hey, uh, I had the mic in my hand, I go, hey, before we dismiss, can I get all the adult leaders just to come forward just for a second? So all the adult leaders come up, like 60, 70 of them, and uh, I said, hey, uh, this is our last day, but with this young man that all of us kind of have been knowing and praying, and I said, I know, some of you have known him a lot longer than me. I'm like four days in getting to know him. But anybody got any insight? I said, I'm just hitting a wall. I'm just keep thinking about like, what could I preach tonight? This might be my last shot with him. I said, anybody got an idea? And, and, and no one suggested a sermon. This one lady though said, we know where he sits. So why don't we pray in 15 minute intervals over his seat? Like we'll just cover that seat with prayer from now till seven o'clock when the whole thing starts. And so they got out a piece of paper and they start signing up for 15 minute shifts and it was awesome. And this other lady was like, why don't we anoint the seat with oil? And this was like at a Southern Baptist camp. So like the only oil we had was some like oil for the popcorn machine, you know? And so I was like, okay. And then like there's this one charismatic lady, you know, you know that lady with the shofar and her Bible and her oil, you know, she was like, I've got some oil. And so she get in there and so she starts buffing the seat down, they're praying over it. I mean, we're talking like seven hours of just intercession over the seat for this young man. He, dude comes in that last night, he sits down, he's like, what's all this oil? You know, it's just awesome. I get up, I preach. It was an amazing sermon on humility. I don't know, I don't know what it was. I'm just saying like, I give my best and you know what? Fail, fail. I'm telling you, like, it just did not deliver. He was just not interested. During the invitation, he just looked at me, and I'm not kidding you, I'm just gonna tell you what happened. He got up during the invitation, flicked me the bird, <laughs> and left. And the youth pastor in the back of the room stuck his head in the, in the hallway so that I, I, he was just looking at me like, I try to warn you. 
And I know God does it. I know he's the ultimate communicator. Like, don't Jesus juke me into, I know all that, right? I know. But I just, you ever had somebody who doesn't know the Lord that you just really want them to know the Lord? And I was like, God, I know you do it, but I thought you would do it. <laughs> so the next morning, Friday morning, everybody is going home. They have like a seven-hour bus ride home, right? And somebody takes me to the airport to fly home. And all weekend, I'm just down about, a, uh, about this young man not coming to the Lord. And, and I'm, on Monday, I get to work, and there's messages for me from the youth pastor who was hosting that camp from the week before. So I call him, and I'm like, hey, buddy, I see all these messages. He goes, dude, we've been trying to get a hold of you uh, because I know you'd want to know it. He goes, I know how brokenhearted you were about this young man. He goes, I, I got to tell you what happened. He said, man, you flew home. Like, we drove you, and you flew out. He said, from the nearest airport. He said, but we had a seven-hour bus ride. He goes, well, four or five buses, right, worth of students. He goes, in, th- in that morning, the, like the last morning at camp, he goes, he, he, um, this young man, he's getting on buses to like try to find a seat. He said, but nobody wants to be stuck with him because he's so mean to everybody. So everybody's like, seat safe, seat safe. He goes, except in the back of like bus number three, there's that one kid. You know how every youth group's got that one kid? The one who like memorized Leviticus when he was like three. <laughs> Probably a homeschooler named Dwayne. That kid, all right, he's awesome. So... So he sees him coming, and he's like, hey, man, you can come sit with me if you want to, all right? And so <laughs> this guy comes, and he sits with him. It's the only seat, like, available to him. And what he doesn't understand is that, like, Dwayne has decided, campaign over, baby. We got seven more hours. <laughs> and for the next seven hours, this guy is just talking, witnessing, 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 just being a light, being a light, being a light. And, and the guy... Is like, what is happening? I mean, they're stopping to go to the bathroom. He's following him into the bathroom. He's like, he needs to flush your heart out, whatever, you know. They're going to Burger King. He needs to be the king of your life, whatever. Like, it's, it's just for six and a half hours, the youth pastor is telling me. It's just relentless. And he said, man, we are like 20 minutes outside the church. Like, we're in the suburbs of our town. And we're about to, like, in 20 minutes arrive. And he said, and all of a sudden, the guy getting witnessed to for six and a half hours, he says, just blows a gasket. He's like, leave me alone. And he said, and the other guy looks at him and he says, hey man, I will leave you alone if for 90 seconds you listen to me. And the other guy goes, dude, I've been listening to you for six and a half hours. He goes, no, you haven't. You've been, you've been hearing me, but you haven't been listening. He goes, will you, just, will you just quit being so defensive and for just 90 seconds, just listen to me. And he said, and the guy looks at him and he goes, all right, just to get you off my back, you have my attention, Go. By the way, can you imagine if you've been sitting in front of these two for six and a half hours? And all of a sudden, like, the guy's like, I'll listen. You know what you're doing. You're praying, but you're not just praying. You're tapping people in front of you going, hey, dude, you need to be praying. They're tapping people in front of them saying, hey, dude, you need to be praying. They're tapping people in front of them. We're probably getting on with the walkie-talkie with the bus driver going, break one nine, all the buses need to be praying. You know that's going. So they start praying, and this guy who's got 90 seconds looks at him and says, God so loves you that he gave his one and only son that if you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. You're a sinner in need of a savior. His name is Jesus and he loves you and he lived a perfect life and then he died a sinner's death on your behalf. Everything about your life is broken and Jesus can come and fix everything. And he said, and as these guys start to share the gospel, he said, this young man looks at him and goes, how come no one's ever told me this? To which when I'm hearing this on the phone, I was like, that's what I did all week. To which there's the reminder that no one can reach an 11th grader better than another 11th grader. And the next thing you know, this guy gives his life to Christ right there on the bus. 
And the guy comes to Christ. Thank you for the golf clap. All right, anyway, so, so the guy gets saved, y'all, on Friday afternoon. And on Saturday, the guy that led him to the Lord invites him just to come hang with him. And the two of them, 25, 26 hours later, after this guy's been a brand new believer, and the guy, they decide to go hang out and they end up in a movie theater together. So they're in this movie theater. You know how you go in the summer to like see a movie and it's packed out and everybody's like mortgaged their house to buy that 50 gallon drum of Coke and popcorn, you know, with the WD-40 on it or whatever. And so they're sitting there and they're watching the previews and during about the third movie preview, the youth pastor tells me as they're watching the previews, um, the film projector has this mechanical issue and just kind of like breaks down. And as soon as it breaks down, the youth pastor tells me, he said, David, the guy that's been a Christian for one day looks at his friend and goes, hey man, God knows everything, right? And he was like, yeah. He goes, look, I know you're like the professional Christian. I'm the new Christian. God knows we're in his theater and he knows we're Christians, right? And he goes, yeah. He goes, well, maybe God's trying to tell us something. You ever met anybody like that? Every little thing that happens, they're like, God's trying to tell us something. Like you're driving down the road and run out of gas and they're like, God's trying to tell us something. He's trying to tell us to get gas. I, I was, but this guy, this guy just got saved. So he's like, I think God's trying to tell us something. And so this other guy's like, well, what do you think he's trying to tell us? He goes, I don't know, you're the expert. Maybe since God knows everything, he's trying to tell us we're in this theater and that he broke this projector so that we can like tell everybody in this theater about Jesus. And this other guy who's been a Christian for a long time goes, dude, like you said, I know the signs. You need to chill out. This is definitely not the witness to the theater sign. And as he's saying that, the projector starts back up again. And the guy that's been a Christian for one day looks at his friend and goes, I'm so glad you stopped me from embarrassing myself. If God wanted us to witness to these people, he'd have kept the projector broken longer. And as he's saying that, the projector breaks down again for the second time. And the youth pastor told me this on the phone. He goes, David, this guy, 26-hour-old Christian, stands up, excuse me, excuse me, goes down the aisle, stands in front of the entire movie theater and says, excuse me, I want to take these few seconds while they're fixing the projector to say that yesterday, just yesterday, I became this thing called a Christian. And my buddy back there led me to the Lord, stand up, stand up. His buddy's like, how you guys doing? And he said, I don't even know all the lingo. I don't even know what all happened to me. But after this thing is over, if you want to be a Christian, I can tell you, I can recommend it. If you want to be a Christian, he'd love to talk to you. He'll be out back by the popcorn machine and when the concession. <laughs> And I'm hearing this story on the phone and I'm just like, wow, the day before, the day before, this guy was avoiding the gospel like immigration. Well, that doesn't make sense to you, but you know what I'm saying? This guy, the day before, wanted to have nothing to do with the gospel, but then 24 hours later, he goes from darkness to light and then all of a sudden, he becomes a bearer of light. And I know some of y'all are hearing that and you're going, well, he didn't, what, he didn't even know what to say. I know he didn't have polish, but I know a lot of people with theological polish that never share the gospel with anybody. And hear a message like this and go, this is so third grade. This is so simple. We are the light of the world and we should shine. We should tell people, I like robust theology. This feels like beer. I like wine. I like, I like layers of theology. Let me just ask you a question. Are you the light of the world? Do you tell people about the light of the world? I like his way of doing it wrong better than most people's way of doing nothing. And one day in his walk with God, and he's recognized, God wrecked my life so I get to be a wrecking ball for the glory of God. God saved me so that I can, I can save those who've yet to join. 
and he's figured out his ultimate purpose. Can I just tell you this? I've got a friend who's a church planner, and they're planning churches in the fastest growing areas of the world where churches are just blooming like crazy. That is, by the way, China and Brazil. And what's interesting about those places where 80, 90,000 people gather once a month in a soccer stadium who normally meet in a house church, and then they have like church in Brazil in those places. What's interesting about those places is that they have this strategy. His name is Curtis Sargent. And he said, when we go church, plant churches in like China and, and two people come together in a home and they, give this, they, they share the gospel and then somebody else comes to Christ, he said, when a person comes to Christ, do you know what the number one, the first, the, the first, like boom, first question, welcome to the kingdom of God. They just lead somebody to the Lord. You know what the number one question, the first question they ask of a brand new believer, they go, so you work at a bank. I do. Great, let's write down the name of five people you work with at that bank that you can share the gospel with in the next week. We graduate people into thinking that evangelism is a gift of maturity. And what Jesus is saying is, when light lives in you, you have the blood of the lamb, the light lives in you, and the word of your testimony, shine. And I think baby believers in China and in Brazil just don't know any better than to go, this, can I just say this? This is too good to keep to myself. <laughs> he didn't just save me for me. He saved me for the glory of God so that I can radiate that truth. And so here's how we're going to end. It's going to be a weird sermon all together. So why like not end weird? Or I just want you to think about somebody that God has put in your life who does not know the Lord, who is in darkness, who is yet to have the light of the world live in them, who's never given their life to Christ. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member, somebody. Like, as I said that, this became very personal. You immediately thought about Emily. You thought, immediately thought about the lady who just keeps showing up around you at the gym, the, the, the roommate that got all of a sudden assigned you last semester. That's been annoying, but you know, like, this, there's something bigger going on here than the circumstances around. Anybody, and I, I want you to, I just want to, if you're a believer here, ask you, like, is there a person that came to mind who right now, when I said, is in darkness, but needs to hear the gospel that God just prompted on your spirit? And if you've thought about an individual or maybe a family, will you just quietly, just wherever you are, stand up and say, God, give him, this is very, this isn't just theology on a paper, piece of paper called the Bible. This is about like a person, a sister, a friend, a coworker, a classmate. This is about somebody that God's put in my neighbor. If you're thinking about somebody, will you just stand up right now? I thought about somebody. Don't stand because others around you stand, but you're like, I'm actually thinking about an individual. I'm thinking about like, it's, it's weird, man. Like I came in here today and I'm thinking about Robert. The whole time you're talking about being light and salt and you're talking about darkness and stuff, I keep thinking about Robert. Like, I think about the potential that Robert has. I think about the brokenness in Robert's life. I think about how Robert's trying to fix everything around his life with the circumstances. But the problem is he's, he's trying to, like, compensate with all this temporary light, but he needs the light. I keep about all, all the symptoms that are broken in my friend who's an alcoholic, but he doesn't just need AA. He, he needs Christ. He doesn't need a better job. He need, he's never going to be satisfied until he needs... Anybody, you're thinking about an individual. Like, as you're thinking about... Close your eyes for just a second. And isn't it crazy that they probably think no one's thinking about them, but yet the Holy Spirit put them on your heart. God's thinking about them. 
And, and if you wanna see that person come to Christ, will you just lift your hand, one hand? Can I just tell you this? God is in agreement with you. You wanna see Robert come to Christ? You wanna see Emily come to Christ? You wanna see you know, that person that God put on? Why do you think God put that person on your heart? And if you're going, I don't even know where to begin, God must believe more in you than you believe in you. Because God put them in your heart so that you would have the great gift of I am commissioning you to be a part of the solution. Reflect the light. So God is in agreement. If you're going, God, I'm thinking about them. God's going, I'm thinking about them and I'm thinking about you being an answer to that prayer for them. And so here's how we're gonna end. You ready? If you're thinking about that person, will you face the door? You see it coming, don't you? Will you face the door? Go ahead, turn around physically. Get your stuff, face the door. And will you just go and see this as like a little huddle before we play? <laughs> and as you're going out, will you just think about one thing today? Will you think about like, as you're walking out, like how? God, like, my, I haven't talked to him for a while or I'm gonna run into them tomorrow. And instead of all the like, God, give me the words, it's like, God, you've given me the heart. Now, God, give me the circumstances. And when they come up, when the moment comes up, let, let me just be obedient. And I think what you're doing is you're just sharing what God's put on your heart. Maybe the first step is, yesterday I was sitting in a place and this guy asked, like, who's somebody I've been thinking about a lot and I just so care about you. Like, somehow, like, you came to mind, bro. Like, or, listen, you, I, I just wanna tell you, like, why would I come to you? I just think you have so much potential in your life. I just see so much goodness in you. I see kindness in you. Or I see, like, begin with something you can agree with with them and just ask the Holy Spirit to, like, help you begin that. Maybe, maybe it's, I just know their grass needs to be cut, so I'm gonna go be salt so that I get a chance to be light. And so we're gonna like great commission out of here, right? We're gonna, if you're thinking about an individual today that the Holy Spirit gives, I would say, go, go. <laughs> go there, but you know, to all the nations, to go there to, you know, Bellevue, go there to Franklin, go there to wherever God's calling you, whatever campus is watching, and, and, and can you just go and just not forget about the fact that God put that person on your heart for a reason? And ask the Holy Spirit to give you that. So Lord, we pray now as we break from this huddle that you would allow us to um, really not just come in here and all face the stage, which is your word being taught and your songs being led, but to face, God, um, the exit and to know that, God, what happens here is too good to keep to ourselves. What you've done in us, God, is too good not to share with others. And so help us, God, now be commissioned out of here. God, give my brothers and my sisters um, the right words, the right thoughts, the right posture. Bless them, Lord, in these efforts. I pray that in, in weeks to come, we'd hear about what happens out of here and in this moment. And we pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you. Get out of here. All right? We love you. See you next week. It's going to be awesome.